The US-UAE relationship has been a bulwark for stability in the region for decades. It's fed into economic opportunity, growth and development. Where next for the US and UAE? You're listening to the Business Extra podcast coming from the National in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. If you like this show, please do subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your audio content. The UAE and the United States. Their relationship is perhaps one of the most important for stability in the wider region. They've been allies for decades. They've worked across defense, energy, technology, and investment. These ties are currently going through a period of what Yusuf Al-Ataba, the UAE's ambassador to the US, suggested was a period of testing. But that when we come through into a new phase, that'll be something quite exciting and promising. With me today is Sean Murphy, the US Embassy's Charge d'Affaires in Abu Dhabi. Sean, welcome. Thanks for being with us in the studio in Abu Dhabi. Good morning, Mustafa. It's a great uh, pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, we have to have you because we're talking about the US-UAE relationship. So you're, from your point of view, your vantage point as a senior official here for the US in this country, maybe we can start off by contextualizing what is the US-UAE relationship? What do these ties mean to you, to you at least, or from your point of view of your position? Well, thanks, uh, Mustafa. Maybe I'll, uh, I'll begin with an observation. We sometimes uh, joke that the uh, US-UAE relationship is so broad and so important that it can't be confined to one planet. And that's a bit of a jocular uh, reference to the uh, cooperation that the two countries have in uh, space exploration. As you mentioned, uh, the UAE and the U.S. have been friends and allies uh, for 50 years throughout the, uh, the history of this country, and uh, the relationship indeed, uh, security, of course, is a very important uh, component of that relationship, but uh, the relationship extends uh, far beyond security to, uh, and I could certainly give you statistics and factoids. Uh, about $25 billion in, uh, in biannual uh, two-way trade. Um, the UAE is uh, the largest investor from this part of the world in the United States and supports tens of thousands of jobs. There are uh, 50,000 or so American citizens living in the UAE who have found, this, uh, found uh, opportunity here. But really, the relationship is, uh, has been built over decades on a uh, very solid foundation of uh, people-to-people ties. Of course, uh, tens of thousands of Emiratis have studied in the United States over the years. Um, they understand the United States very well. They understand our strengths, and they also understand our flaws. And uh, these uh, people-to-people ties, at the, at the end of the day, those are the ones that, uh, that, matter, that matter most. You know, like all uh, relationships, uh, the uh, U.S.-UAE uh, relationship has had its ups and its downs over the years. But uh, it's built on solid foundations, and it's built on these uh, interpersonal connections between uh, people, between uh, business people, between scientists, between students, between academics. And uh, so we're very confident that uh, the success of the 50 years will continue into the next uh, 50 years of the UAE's uh, history. And we're very proud to uh, have been, uh, you know, obviously uh, the UAE celebrated its Golden Jubilee. Um, this year, and uh, we've been very proud to be an important partner of the UAE throughout its history, and we've been very proud of its uh, 
extraordinary accomplishments in that uh, very short period of time. And uh, we look very much forward to, uh, to accompanying the UAE on its uh, journey uh, into the next 50 years. I mean, the UAE is a, a huge success story for the, for the region, globally perhaps. But, you know, the fact is, is that the Middle East, the various developments that have happened in recent years, whether conflict or otherwise, affects the kind of wider perceptions of stability here. And so we can't ignore what's going on, whether it be in Yemen or Iran or Syria or Iraq. It has an effect on things here. And if we can look at sort of the, the relationship between the US and the UAE in, in, in recent months, what's been the big change? And, and I see the big change has been obviously a change of administration. We had a period of time, I mean, you've actually straddled both because you, you came when it was the previous administration under former President Donald Trump. And you could almost feel as if at that point there was, it was a lot smoother, let's say, according to perception here. While now, as we, we've moved into the administration of President Joe Biden, there's a perception at least if, you know, some people say it's true, others might say maybe it's overblown, but certainly there's a perception that things aren't as smooth now. So I guess my question is, from your point of view, how much of this is developments in the region that will naturally cause stress from time to time? Or is, there, is this a matter of a change of people in Washington that has affected the perception of the relationship? Well, Mustafa, it certainly is true that each administration is going to have its own priorities, particularly when we are uh, dealing with a transition from one party to another. There's no doubt about that. There's also no doubt that the UAE is in a, in a tough neighborhood, and, and it's been a tough neighborhood for a, a very long time. And there certainly have been very, very important uh, developments um, over the past year. Obviously, Afghanistan was an absolutely uh, critical one. And I know how the uh, U.S. withdrawal from uh, Afghanistan, a Taliban takeover, I understand how that uh, resonated in the UAE and, and other parts of the world and how it it fed into a certain narrative about uh, U.S. withdrawal or U.S. lack of commitment to the region. Of course, uh, I always point out that Afghanistan has been a very important issue for President Biden for many, many years. His position on that uh, has not changed from when he was a senator. And the uh, withdrawal from Afghanistan was a unique um, situation that uh, I think we can see with the passage of time um, did not presage a withdrawal from any other circumstance in the region. The United States, for example, is still very much present in Iraq. But uh, certainly Afghanistan was really a, uh, a seminal and really traumatic uh, event for, uh, for many people, of course, uh, uh, no more so than for the Afghan people uh, themselves. And I'll take uh, advantage of this uh, subject to uh, mention that we are very grateful for the uh, UAE's uh, cooperation um, with the evacuation of uh, tens of thousands of vulnerable people from Afghanistan. We approached the UAE to assist in this effort uh, in August, and the UAE immediately agreed to do so. Um, I think it's, it's well known that there are still many thousands of Afghan evacuees in Abu Dhabi, and it, it really is uh, exceptional, the, uh, the support and care that the uh, UAE has provided to those people over uh, now these very many months. And I would like to think that uh, our collaboration with the UAE on this really uh, urgent humanitarian uh, need is a, a good example of the positive things 
that we can uh, do together. And I think our job as diplomats is to really play to those uh, strengths. Um, that uh, cooperation on dealing with uh, the Afghanistan evacuees was really built on a foundation of, uh, of trust and confidence between the two countries who had cooperated very closely for many years in Afghanistan. And I think the uh, way that uh, the UAE has been able to assist so many uh, people is really exemplary. And I think that the whole evacuation process is a good example of uh, really the best of the uh, relationship between our two countries. Again, there's no question that the uh, Afghanistan, other uh, developments in the region have challenged the relationship in, in many ways. And Ambassador Taiba um, has uh, spoken of the stress test um, in UAE-U.S. Uh, relationship right now. All relationships have their ups and downs, but I do come back to thinking that the foundation of the uh, U.S.-UAE relationship is very strong, and it's based on 50 years of uh, close collaboration and 50 years of deepening um, interpersonal ties between the two countries. I'll mention in that uh, regard, I went uh, last night to the uh, Cultural Foundation here in Abu Dhabi to watch a very interesting uh, show, a, uh, an American uh, dance troupe that's very innovative and uses technology and synchronizes technology into their, uh, their dance uh, performances. The dancers wear uh, suits um, with uh, LED lights and uh, there's computer coding that uh, synchronizes the uh, lights to the movement of the dancers. This was an American group that uh, came here and uh, collaborated with a, a dance company here in Abu Dhabi that uh, performed with the American dancers last night. And the coding uh, for the performance, the coding that controlled the movement of the lights was done by young women uh, at a school here in Abu Dhabi who are really exceptional at coding and it was very nice. I enjoyed uh, getting to meet them last night. And in a microcosm, it's a very, very small example of those uh, really extraordinary um, interpersonal ties between the two countries and this foundation in culture and relationships that I think are going to carry us through uh, this moment and get us to a better place. I'll pick up on your points about uh, technology, but also you mentioned a little bit earlier about you know this narrative of, of the U.S. withdrawal. You know the U.S. hegemony is being challenged. I mean, you know, perhaps it's always being challenged. When you're the superpower, there will be other powers jostling uh, for more influence. I mean, uh, much of it ultimately comes down to you know business. In the end of the day, I mean, you know, trade, investment, creating jobs at home, creating profit for the big companies, and the U.S. has done this very successfully in, in the region. So the idea was, the theory is that if the U.S. is um, not as committed uh, to this region, whether that's true or not, or perception. And as you rightly said, perhaps the decision to withdraw from Afghanistan played into that narrative, whether, as you said, it was something that was perhaps on a separate track to do with, with President Biden. But it had been a discussion for some time that you have to look at your other options. Now, what I find is interesting is that, that technology kind of is sort of right in the middle of that, because you've got not only the technology that's needed for every industry, whether it's energy or otherwise. But also the discussions were, for example, for a package of defense systems that were the state-of-the-art high-end technology. And Ambassador Alateba, in the same event that he made those comments about the UAE-US relationship, also said that trust was built on the fact that technology has been shared for decades 
without there being any incident of, of that technology falling into the wrong hands. So there's a sense now, though, that, that perhaps that there isn't as much confidence as we've changed administrations for the sharing of that kind of technology. But from what you're saying, at least on the grassroots level, that's perhaps not the case. That There is a, a confidence of working together on technology, sharing technology, whether that's defense or, or otherwise. Mustafa, we uh, have been uh, sharing some of our uh, most sophisticated technology with the UAE for uh, many, many years, not exclusively in the defense realm, but indeed in that realm. And uh, frankly, uh, the value of that uh, technology uh, proved itself in helping uh, prevent uh, missile attacks on the UAE. But we have a responsibility to make sure that uh, when we sell our uh, most sophisticated technology, the crown jewels of our military technology, that we have a good understanding that uh, that technology will be uh, well uh, protected. And the type of dialogue that we are having with the UAE on this point is exactly uh, the same dialogue that we have with every country that we share this uh, type of technology with. It is uh, important to our national security, it's important to the UAE's national security, and it's important to the national security of all our other partners that buy the same technology. So this is exactly the same uh, dialogue that we have with every country under these same circumstances. So when we talk about defensive technology, you mentioned the missiles, and obviously there was the attacks on the UAE earlier this year related to what's going on in Yemen but also the wider concerns. I mean, we saw what happened in Iraq this week with regards to Iran and missile attacks there and, and, and what's happening um, in Vienna with the effort to create a new Iran deal um, has huge impact on what could happen in the region as well. And that's something that has been worked upon with urgency, it seems, since uh, the change of administration in Washington. If I mention specifically that discussions about defense packages do take a long time. So whether it's F-35s or otherwise, when there's no immediate urgent danger, I guess, then normal course of defense business will run its course. There will be the due diligence. There will be discussions. I mean, you have to, everything has to be approved and run through the proper channels. So I think I understand that. But then there's the more immediate concern of kind of regional security and protection. And we've already seen moves on that part from, from the U.S. military to, to beef up, you know, defenses here to ensure that the UAE continues to be protected. But then if we move into sort of the realm of, for example, even more advanced systems like drones, and I think it's not just the UAE's issue, but I think globally, we kind of countries have to work together to come up with proper anti-UAV systems that work well. And I can't see that happening unless that's cooperation. So it feels as if there are several strands here. There is sort of these kind of big defense packages, F-35s or otherwise. Then you have the sort of more immediate concerns of missile defense, because of what's happening in the region. And then the third thing might be future tech or tech to future-proof your defenses against UAVs and other technology. And I see that there is discussions between the US and the UAE in all three. And is that a fair assessment of the situation? Well, it's certainly, uh, we certainly recognize that the UAE faces a very significant uh, national security threat right now due to the terrorist uh, drone and uh, missile attacks that the Houthis have launched since January 17th. And we are doing uh, everything we can to try to be responsive to those concerns. We have the technology that we provided to the UAE um, over the years pro has proven very successful, in particular against uh, ballistic missiles. We've provided a uh, guided missile 
destroyer to assist with the UAE's uh, defense. We have a squadron of F-22s currently uh, in the country. And uh, we're collaborating with uh, greater uh, information and intelligence sharing. We're uh, doing things to enhance uh, interdiction uh, efforts of uh, war materials that are uh, uh, that uh, Iran attempts to illegally um, introduce into uh, into Yemen, and we're collaborating on uh, programs to improve uh, integrated air defense. Ultimately, the uh, the problem is the war in Yemen uh, needs to stop, and uh, right now the Houthis are the aggressor in that war, and uh, we are working very intensely with our partners in the region, with uh, the UAE, with Saudi Arabia, and also with the United Nations to try to bring uh, the fighting to a stop. It is a significant challenge. The Houthis and their Iranian backers have uh, seemed to feel that they have uh, something to gain by continuing the fighting, and there is going to have to be additional pressure uh, brought to bear to force them to the negotiating table, to force them into a truce um, or ceasefire. Ultimately, it's critical that the war stops. And of course, the, uh, the, it's the war that has created uh, such a devastating humanitarian situation in, uh, in Yemen. That's of enormous uh, concern to us and uh, enormous concern to the international community. Um, there are a lot of efforts underway to try to bring uh, pressure to bear on the Houthis to stop fighting. And in the meantime, um, we will try to be as uh, responsive as we can be um, to the UAE's uh, legitimate security concerns. And there certainly is a scope for us to review the responsiveness and the agility of those efforts and to uh, try to do uh, as best we can to support a, uh, the legitimate security concerns of a country that's been an extremely important partner of ours for 50 years. To what extent is the the difficulty of, of finding a political solution to the conflict in Yemen, is, as you quite rightly pointed out, and, and the humanitarian situation there. I mean, the ICRC was telling one of my colleagues here at the National that they're desperate for this humanitarian crisis not to be lost, not to be forgotten from the headlines, despite obviously the tragedy that's unfolding in Ukraine at the moment. And I think everybody wants there to be a resolution in Yemen as soon as possible. But to what extent have the Houthis been emboldened by a perception, whether real or, or otherwise, of perhaps not no longer being le less of a, a kind of closeness between the US and the UAE? They try and squeeze into that gap because for them, what matters most are facts on the ground. And so if they feel that they can achieve their objectives on the ground, it, it gives them a much stronger position, delaying tactics over and over again. But I wonder if there is, in the coming days or weeks, you know, more of a cohesive, at least, you know, outwardly appearing, even if there was behind the scenes, but at least outwardly appearing cohesiveness between the US, the UAE and other countries on Yemen, that that might give us fresh momentum um, to kind of reach that solution that we all, we all desperately want. Well, Mustafa, I can't speculate on uh, their motives. Undoubtedly, they uh, seem obviously to feel that they have some advantage in uh, continuing uh, the fighting. Uh, perhaps positioning themselves uh, on the battlefield for a future negotiation. But again, that's really speculation. Our uh, concern is uh, bringing the fighting to a, a stop and to addressing the uh, humanitarian uh, concerns of the Yemeni uh, people. 
and uh, we are uh, have been making extraordinary uh, efforts in that regard, working very closely with uh, with our partners in the region, above all with uh, with the UAE and Saudi Arabia. And uh, we're going to continue to work hard at that. There's uh, simply uh, too much uh, at stake. I think we've seen a uh, greater recognition within the international community in the past six months, indeed over the past year, um, that uh, it is the Houthis and their Iranian backers who are uh, fueling uh, the war at this point. That the other parties are uh, interested in peace and the Houthis and their Iranian backers uh, are interested in fighting and war at this point. So there's a lot of efforts going into uh, trying to bring uh, the war to a stop, and there are a lot of efforts being made to uh, try to address the humanitarian concerns of the uh, Yemeni people. And as I say, I think there is a greater recognition within the international community in the past uh, six months, the past 12 months, as to uh, which party to this conflict is, uh, is the aggressor. I think what's interesting in terms of this region was, you know, one of the really sort of powerful dynamics that was unfolding was kind of coming to a resolution for a new nuclear deal for Iran that would, you know, somehow ensure stability. I mean, there are, the UAE and other Gulf countries have been concerned for a while that any deal would be would end up being a repeat of the previous deal that was agreed under the Obama administration that, that was very much the feeling that it didn't... Um, you know, guarantee some of the risks, whether it was, you know, proxy militias or, or missile risks and overly focused on the nuclear risk, which is important, of course. But the, as we move to sort of, you know, nuclear deal part two, that had been the discussion. And, and obviously we have the more interesting dynamic now of Israel being part of that conversation directly because of the Abraham Accords. So the UAE and other Gulf countries, Bahrain are talking to, to, to Israel with regards to Iran. And they seem to be trying to find common ground on there to almost create this argument that, yes, it's important to get a nuclear deal. Yes, it's important to bring Iran back to the fold. But if we don't address all the risks, then we're going to end up in the same place. Now, I've got a very long-winded question here. I'll get to it. Uh, forgive me, Sean. Uh, but th then we have now the Ukraine crisis, which, is, which has kind of almost opened another channel here, which is that not just because of that conflict, but, but other effects from the pandemic, we now have an unfolding energy crisis globally. So the urgency of, of bringing, say, Iranian oil back online or otherwise ensuring supply in that regard and elsewhere has now become top conversation. And Ambassador Al-Tabor, for example, um, recently uh, last week commented on the UAE being supportive of increased production. Um, and the result was, you know, we'd seen these surging oil prices and then on a single day, that those comments were able to drive the price back down sort of 13%. Now, it doesn't fix the wider structural problems we have with energy. We're in the middle of an energy transition. Um, and almost this is a snapshot of what would happen if we rush too fast to that green shift without ensuring supply. And that's a whole other conversation. But, but again, to come back to my very long-winded question, which is, what do you think from your point of view is the immediate priority of the US when it comes to this region? Is it a holistic view? that incorporates the Ukraine-Russia conflict and other issues, or can they compartmentalize what's best for the region? Like, should we now be thinking of the Middle East no longer as a standalone region almost that we have done these last few years of we need to fix X, Y, Z, and now we have to think globally about these problems? Well, uh, Mustafa, it's certainly been observed in the past that uh, various U.S. administrations have wanted to reduce their uh, involvement in this region, but keep getting pulled back in. 
this is clearly a uh, critical region to the uh, to the world for a variety of of reasons over many decades, and it's going to remain so. You rightly pointed out the uh, importance of the uh, global energy, uh, the fluctuations in the global energy uh, market right now. This has a real real world uh, impact on everyone, and uh, it is going to be a, a challenge that we're all going to have to deal with for quite a long time. And we certainly welcomed. Ambassador Otaiba's uh, comments about increasing oil production, and we think that that's uh, very important that that be done uh, by our traditional energy partners uh, in OPEC. This is a critical uh, region uh, to the United States. Uh, you mentioned the uh, ongoing uh, talks in uh, Vienna about the JCPOA. The United States uh, is committed to reentry into the mutual reentry into the JCPOA. Um, we think and c we continue to think that the world is better off with a, a non-nuclear Iran. At the same time, we uh, recognize that uh, Iran's malign behavior in the region and elsewhere absolutely must be addressed. And uh, it's not 2015 anymore. And uh, we've, uh, we've recognized that uh, publicly. And uh, I think you will see we continue to work with our partners in the region to address Iran's uh, malign behavior, its support for militias, its uh, missile programs, the other ways in which it uh, creates mischief in the region, takes advantage of the region's problems. We are continuing to work on those issues, and uh, we will, uh, whatever happens with the JCPOA, the U.S.'s commitment to uh, the defense of the region, to, uh, to helping the region uh, resist uh, Iran's malign behavior, is uh, remains it's a constant and uh, we know that uh, whatever happens in vienna um, iran remains a challenge and it's a challenge that we're committed to uh, to continuing to work on with our partners we're predominantly talking to a business audience here and and what we found recently is that business leaders decision makers are having to incorporate sort of geopolitical risks like like never before you know we had the, the risks of the pandemic and now you know since since sort of the last few months there's this heightened concern about geopolitics, not just here, but, but globally as well. We have the pressure on supply chains as well, um, which is causing issues. We have inflation. And of course, we, you know, I mentioned climate change, but, but also sort of technological shift. These things were with us before the pandemic as well. So it's, it's kind of a, an interesting time if you're a chief executive. But those sitting here in the UAE and the, and the region listening to the show right now will, you know, be really watching closely the US-UAE relationship because Again, it comes back to what we said at the beginning. That has been a bulwark of stability for the UAE and the wider region for so long. And I've been hearing that sort of the, the mood music in Washington has been this feeling, um, and, and perhaps this is maybe only from the UAE side or, or those observers uh, looking from the UAE side, not officially, um, that things haven't been this sort of fraught since the DP World crisis that happened in 2006 when Dubai Ports Company was looking to, to buy as part of a wider acquisition, U.S. ports, and there was a political storm about it in the U.S., and there was all kinds of concerns about security, and I think that came as a shock at the time. I think we've all grown and, and moved on that little is a shock anymore, given developments in the world. But I say this to bring back the point of it all comes down to business. It all comes down to investment. It all comes down to essentially economic opportunity for people in this region and people in America. You probably almost feel like you live at the expo site at the moment in Dubai, Sean. You probably had to go there so many times. 
the amount of delegations that come through from the US to the US pavilion. And of course, that pavilion's there and that presence is there because of the US-UAE relationship more than anything else. And so I, I, I kind of want to bring back the conversation to, to this point of, you know, what's the message to business leaders, right? What's the message to CEOs and decision makers of like, can they, can they feel confident about that bulwark of stability to make the decisions, the investment decisions they need to make going forward? Well, Mustafa, uh, thank you for mentioning uh, Expo, and uh, you know I think it's a very uh, it's very useful uh, to answer your question in the context of uh, of Expo. One of my uh, favorite pavilions there is, in fact, DP World. It's exceptional um, what they are doing with uh, logistics and applying technology to uh, port management. I think it's fascinating and is very very important to addressing some of the world's challenges uh, right now. You, you mentioned the uh, supply chain uh, challenges. It's incredibly important that uh, things like that be addressed. And I think, in fact, that uh, global logistics is a really exciting area for collaboration uh, between the United States and uh, the UAE. And I think we'll be seeing some exciting things in that uh, domain and in the near future. To the general point of uh, you know, messaging and what the message is to uh, business people and what the message is to our partners in the UAE and around the region, our pavilion has, I think, some important and interesting uh, messages. Our, our, the theme of our pavilion is uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of the future, a bit of a play on uh, the famous and uh, uh, beautiful words in our Declaration of Independence. And uh, the pavilion highlights uh, America's uh, scientific and, uh, and technological uh, leadership um, over the years. And, and we also have uh, exhibits there that uh, emphasize the uh, link between uh, political freedom and creativity and innovation. We were very proud to display Thomas Jefferson's Quran. Uh, that was the first time that uh, really uh, valuable uh, historical uh, document has been outside of Washington, D.C. And uh, it, uh, it's an important message about uh, how the ability to believe whatever you wish to believe, the ability to, uh, to question assumptions, and the ability to dream are absolutely uh, critical to uh, scientific and technological progress. And that's very important uh, in a country like the UAE that is really very, very focused on its uh, future. I like to observe that uh, sitting here in uh, 2022, we can't even conceive of the technologies that are going to be critical to our lives in 2032. That is simply the, uh, the velocity of technological innovation. But I think with a great sense of humility, but I think also with a great sense of confidence, as Americans, we can uh, say that whatever those technologies are, we know uh, where a great many of them will uh, come from. Um, they'll come from the same places that uh, cutting-edge technologies, technologies that make life better for all of us, technologies that change the world, and they'll come from the same place they've always come from. They'll come from uh, American universities, from American laboratories, from American businesses. And we really think that that's um, something that uh, really positions us well to remain a, a critical partner for the UAE, a critical partner for a country that really is very much focused on those technologies. It's really very focused, and appropriately so, on its future.
I mean, we always come back down to technology in this discussion. It seems to be, you know, it's sort of the lifeblood of everything at the moment. And kind of the last sort of point I'll raise is that the areas of collaboration are, are, are only growing. There was recently, President Biden said that the US is going to look at the potential for creating a digital dollar. So, you know, we look at finance and we look at that area and what's been happening um, in terms of fintech and banking and, you know, the, the, the barriers are coming down. And that brings with it both opportunities and risks. So on the one hand, you know, as you quite rightly said, there will be uh, technologies that will proliferate, probably out of Silicon Valley, because that's where they usually come from, um, and we'll be using them here. Maybe we'll even be instigating technologies from this part of the world, hopefully more of them. Uh, will come here that will then, you know, go to the US. And, and we've seen cross-border investment, both from Silicon Valley investors coming here and, and, and investors here looking at the US as well. Um, but also the risks, which is, you know, one of the big ones at the moment, which is even before technology came into it, but now there are even more tools for financial criminals, for money launderers. And that is something that is cross-border. It is global. So I, the US and the UAE are going to have to cooperate even more closely in those areas because of technology and the way the world is going. So, you know, people talk about the US-UAE relationship like somehow it's a binary thing. But it may be something that will continue to evolve and grow no matter what happens simply because of the way society is evolving. Indeed, uh, Mustafa and I uh, began by observing that uh, each administration is going to have its own priorities. One of the uh, most important priorities of the uh, Biden administration was, has been restoring alliances and restoring a, a sense of multilateralism in uh, U.S. foreign policy. And that uh, really brings a, a lot of new and exciting opportunities to the U.S.-UAE uh, relationship. For example, we are uh, cooperating very closely with the UAE on climate change issues. Former Secretary Kerry, um, who is now a special presidential envoy for, uh, for climate, um, has been here uh, many times collaborating with uh, his UAE uh, counterpart. And the two countries are doing a lot of exciting things in uh, the area of renewable energy and mitigating the impact of climate change. And I think that's just one example of the uh, really exciting uh, opportunities that uh, there are for the two countries uh, moving forward. I mentioned uh, also the collaboration that we uh, have engaged in, uh, in space exploration, and it's really exceptional um, what uh, the UAE has uh, done in that area. And, you know, again, we're very proud of uh, the United States' history of uh, scientific and uh, technological uh, leadership. And we're very confident that we, will be, uh, that we will remain a leader in that area and uh, that that will really uh, position us well uh, to be a critical partner for the UAE. Sean Murphy, Charged Affairs for the U.S. Embassy in the UAE. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Mustafa. It's been a pleasure. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. All that remains to thank our production team, Arthur Edison, Aisha Khan. Do join us again next time.